Welcome back, everybody, to another bonus episode of The Devil Within. Hope you enjoyed uh, this new season, A Season in Hell, chronicling the uh, murder spree of David Berkowitz in New York in the late 70s. Um, we have a special guest with us today. Um, you may rec- you probably won't actually recognize his voice because he kind of disappeared into into of kind of vocal exercise of a madman. Um, but with us is John Kioscarides. John is an actor. He's an athlete. He's a producer, podcast host, a fitness motivational YouTuber, and a writer. But to call him an actor kind of sells that short a little bit because uh, anybody who's ever done a play and been on stage, that's a that's a different level of acting that requires a, a, a big set of balls. And John has uh, theater credits from East Coast to West Coast. And he, uh, most importantly, he hails from the fighting borough of Brooklyn, New York. And we're, uh, we're lucky to have him today. So uh, John Kioscarides, welcome to the show. Man, Brandon, thank you for having me. That's a long list of. Uh, <laughs> I feel humbled off of those. Uh, those uh, that list you read off of, but um, I'm excited, man. Yeah, and you're right. Theater definitely scares the crap out of me, but uh, I love it. It's such a. It's such a, a, a clean medium of just you know undisturbed presence where you're just out there, and if things go wrong, you just got to figure it out. So, it keeps me on my toes. Yeah, definitely. So. Um... Are you still uh, trained? Because I know you're you're very um, committed to your craft uh, as an actor. That you've been training for years. Um, is are, is that an ongoing process? It's always an ongoing process. Mm. I mean, I think the main thing that I learned as I transitioned, um, you know, obviously transitioning from LA to New York, um, it just really taught me about choice. And that's the main thing I've always focused on. So, I mean, I'm always thinking of things, you know, whether it be something I want to create or something I want to work on. Um, I'm always an advocate of never, you know, always staying hungry, you know, and always wanting to succeed in whatever you're wanting to do as far as the next job or the next um, creation or the next, you know, show. Um, But yeah, it, it goes like that always. My mind's always thinking. And I think that's what keeps me on my toes. Had you done any voice acting before this? Before this, I had done, it was like, a. I remember coming out of school, uh, I went to William Esper on the East Coast. And after I finished that program, one of the one of the actors, that's my friend, he's like, hey, you want to do this? And it was just a voiceover uh, of like a uh, grown man, uh, you know, that wasn't going to be shown. And uh, that's the only experience I've had prior to that. So I was pretty nervous when you're like, hey, you want to do this? But mm. I knew the level of the project that was going to be out there. And I knew that it was going to be something meaty and something hard. And so that's why I was like, yes, let me let me go after this. So tell me about that. When I when I called you up and said, "Yo, this is what I'm doing," and um, had you, I mean, listen, you're from New York. Obviously, you knew yeah. of David Berkowitz, but like, yep. you're also much, you're much younger than me. Okay, and I don't, yeah. I don't remember. I, I was two years old when he was doing it, so you weren't even <laughs> born yet. I wasn't even. I didn't exist. Right, you didn't exist. So what I'm saying, the question would be, like, from your parents or from older people in your family. Did they have remembrances? Were they in Brooklyn at the time? Were they, you know, around in the seventies then that where you had any kind of knowledge of the son of Sam uh, crime spree when you were growing up? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's sort of ingrained uh, in the area I grew up in because I bounced around different parts of Brooklyn. I grew up where the uh, Barclay center is before that. So um, generally I'd hear these stories from my mom. Cause she was a, you know, a young, attractive woman. Um, she was also digging around that time and she was what in her late teens, 
you know, maybe early 20s. And so I would hear stories from her about how horrifying it was. Is your mom Italian? I, is your mom Italian? She's fully Italian. Yeah, full so Italian. She had dark hair? She's so she's the quintessential target. You know, she had yeah. dark hair, brown eyes. Mm. Um, and you know, at that time when she was digging, you know, she met my dad around I think the 70s. Mm -hmm. But you know, they were pretty terrified to go out there. And, and knowing my dad, he was this, you know, tough New Yorker from Greece. And um, you know, he was even scared. You know, it was it was pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, that was a lot of a lot of the sentiments that I kind of found from people who were around back then was even for like tough, tough New Yorkers like your father. Oh, yeah. um, th th it was scared because the random nature of it and how long it lasted, you know, 13 months and there was no rhyme or reason. No one knew what was motivating this guy, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that terrified me when I was digging into this kind of stuff is that I was looking at what it would be like in those shoes at, at that time. And how would I feel? Because I mean, even researching a lot of this stuff of where he would commit these acts, um, I swear to you, I would go by this as an adult now, growing up in the same area, but this is like what, 20 or 25 years later, but it's the same, the same streets and the same, you know, uh, overpasses looking the Verrazano bridge and this beautiful landscape. And I'm like, every time I pass there, my mom or dad would be like, yeah, that's where the son of Sam was. Bath beach out by Coney is where, yeah. His, yeah, his last thing was right there by the water. Yeah. And Coney Island is a thing you do in the summer. I mean, it still kind of is, you know, it's a historical landmark. Yeah. And my uncle would take me on the, the wonder wheel all the time and the cyclone. And it's just, it's part of that essence of that I love about Brooklyn, but yeah, you would go there all the time and Nathan's famous is there. And <laughs> right to think of these things going on at the same time is, I don't know, I'd be a horrified teenager. Uh, I probably wouldn't want to go outside and I can stick myself semi-tough, I think. <laughs> sure. Of course. But you're not tougher than a gun to your head, right? No, I don't think anyone is, no. especially <laughs> that type of, uh, even researching that caliber of weapon, it's so accurate, you know, and it's so, uh, it's so devastating, Yeah, you know, that it's, it's something that you don't want to be in the presence of at all because your chances are very, very low. And just the sudden explosion of violence. That's what I, as, as a writer, um, when I was researching it before I actually got into the writing of it, I was a little concerned about the repetitive nature of the attacks and how to make that interesting or scary or, or new in every episode, because he did the same mm. thing almost every time, walk up to a car from behind and shoot through the window. Um, and so I tried to put people <clears throat> in inside the car or from Berkowitz's point of view, but every time, man, it scared the shit out of me, right? Just hearing well, it and editing. Just you're sitting there, then there's this sudden explosion of violence and glass and, yeah. and out of out of nowhere. It just man, it's tough to Well, I was gonna I was thinking how you thought about that too, which you answered just now, but I, I felt the same way as the actor going into it because I'm reading these articles and reading the specifics of how things went down and i've gotten i got chills just going through that kind of research because it put me you know especially when you're when you're doing something for like a voice role or whatever an acting role you know you really have to put yourself in the shoes of someone especially that's if it's biographical or whatever but you want to get the specifics down so it's like how do i feel inside the car how would i have felt if this had happened how would i have felt if this I had done this act and that part really scared me and you you sort of have to you know, not judging and just hit this, hit the off switch and then just proceed on, you know, but getting into that mind was very, very, 
interesting. You know, I didn't know how I would feel with it. Well, I want to get to more of that in, in a second because yeah, because um, it was risky on my part, but not really. What I like doing it, with with voice <clears throat> actors coming in on parts, I like working with people that I trust. Um, so I don't have to direct them because I didn't really direct you at all on this. You, yeah, I, I mean, I maybe asked for a couple of notes, but you yeah. were basically giving me freelance. Because I knew that you are from the area, right? And that you'd say, oh, I knew motherfuckers like this, right? Like oh, totally. I knew yeah. guys like Berkowitz who were a little awkward or who were a little, you know, with, with, or from the Bronx or, you know, all that kind of shit. 100%. There was so much meat on the bone with this guy that you could get into. And then all of that, just all of the the psychosis and him, you know, being adopted and wanting to find his real mother and the military and drug use and the he's one of the guests that I interviewed referred to him as being a nest of pathology. Okay, so as wow. an actor, I can imagine how how interesting that must have been to jump into. But what I want you to put me in the place in the the actor's headspace of being a murderer that has that honestly believes he's being commanded by like an evil force right like was that something yeah. that you factored in because that's a weird place to go a hundred percent i mean uh when i was first starting active i've always had a natural ability but i never had a an ingrained trained ability with a bag of tools and so before all this it would have been very difficult for me but now uh, that I went and got the training that I needed that was safe for me, I can go into a safe headspace. So for instance, when I was digging into something like this, I really had to go into, okay, I think the first thing I told myself was after writing everything down, I'm like, okay, here's, here are the facts. I need to stick to the facts. And then after that, I said, okay, what impediments does, does this you know person have? And by impediment, I mean, okay, is he a sociopath? What does that mean? What are the qualities of a sociopath? Okay, uh, does he have ADHD or whatever, whatever the case may be. But I had to get into the headspace of, okay, what, what is this person, what, what mindset is he in at that point? And how can I connect myself to that mindset in some way where it's still myself, but I'm now portraying someone else? And what did you come up with, with his mindset? Well, I dug into a lot of um, stuff about psychology. You know, he wasn't in the right mindset. Uh, you know, there was stuff I read where he was on, you know, some hallucinogens. Mm. Okay, so that those take different qualities on how you act and how you feel. So, for instance, that first letter, I think it was the first letter where he's kind of, you know, jumping all over the place, even how it's written down. I said, okay, you know, this is going to be quite a challenge. But as I got into that mental state where it's like, okay, how can I connect myself to something like this? Okay, I say to myself, great, he is uh, not in the right headspace and maybe it's something that relates to being tired. Okay, let me see how I feel by trying that out. Mm. And I, you know, video myself out and, and see if I like it. And then if I'm not in that same motion or in that same mind, then I can't connect to it. But I have to find something that I relate to that, that gets the job in. So a couple of questions. One, uh, what do you think his motivating, primary motivating factor was? And two, do you think that he honestly believed that he was being commanded by a demon? That's like a, that's a twofold thing. So the stuff about the demon, when I was reading it, 
and how he was committing the acts and he was saying to himself that he was possessed, I was like, you know, to kill someone, okay? To actually take someone's life away. And I've, I've talked to like Marines and I've talked to people in the military and they have a one-way answer where it's, if I'm being attacked forcefully, there's no other thing that I'm going to do. He's gonna be taken out because my life is in danger. Right. It's, a, it's a one-way way of thinking. So I said, you can't really be, the way he was committing those acts was very calculated. So it's to me, it's saying, was he really possessed by someone? And then I, I'm not a big believer in possessions and stuff. You know, I, I believe in God, of course, but it's like, I don't, I don't believe that somebody can physically be embodied and possessed to do an act. I feel like it has to come from a place where you kind of consciously know what you want to do. And then you just kind of either blame it on something else or you take drugs or something like that happens. And as I read afterwards, I believe it was the new articles or the new uh, interviews he had in 1990 where he said, you know, that was total false. I made it up, mm. you know? And so going with that piece of knowledge that I had, I would say no. But if let's say I'm now in 19, what's 1970s mm -hmm. and I'm now trying to get into the mind of him, I'd be a little terrified of saying, okay, um, maybe he's possessed. Cause you know, you have movies coming out like you so vividly expressed during that time you have mm. taxi driver and mm. what the exorcist at that time and you start to get into the mind of like oh this is kind of scary maybe it could be real but once the facts are laid out I, f I felt to myself that no it was probably like an intent and you know he was uh, either hallucinating or you know when you have that deep rooted I don't know, it's like a deep rooted anger or a deep rooted self-worth that you're trying to prove it just goes beyond your exterior, it's, it's always going to be sitting within you. Mm -hmm. For instance, it's like, you know, who was my real father? Was he a good guy? You know, why did my parents split up? You know, and I've gone through divorce as a young kid. And I think to myself, well, why did that happen? You know, as you, as you get older, you start to piece things together. And you're like, oh, maybe this person wasn't happy. But for him, it was very volatile. He was adopted you know, um, didn't know who his real mom or dad was found out later on and then found out that, you know, one didn't want him. And that takes a real big toll, especially when you're not in the right mental state. And especially when, you know, you've just come out of the military and you're kind of failing at every, um, you know, life task that you're going after. It, it begins to be very depressing. And so the connecting factor is I really got into the mind of how someone was when they're depressed. Mm. And, you know, I've been in that state of mind before. And uh, in order to get out of it, you kind of feel like there's this black hole always hovering over you. So I said, okay, that's where the training comes in where I said, okay, I'm not in that headspace anymore, but let me, let me go into that headspace again in a safe way so that I can portray this character well. So I was like, okay, depression, click that, that made sense. And I said, what else from there? Let me layer things on. Okay. How would I feel to not have a mom or not know where my mom is? How would I feel to fail at every, everything I've ever went after and not have a goal? How would I feel, um, you know, being rejected by women constantly or having the need to want to be with a woman and then being rejected over and over and over again? That along with depression and along with a, a bad mental state creates havoc, you know, as, as we've seen. So that's interesting that you say a, a lot of things there. And, and I'm going to do a separate episode on, on what I'm about to bring up because I disagree a little bit with regard to the veracity of his beliefs at the time. In the mm -hmm. I think my opinion of it <clears throat> is that 
because of everything that you just said, because of perhaps his drug use, because of his depression, because of his uh, fear of uh, abandonment again, or or the the utter hatred of the truth of his own conception. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Juxtaposed against his newly uh, kind of forged uh, Christian belief structure, right? That that he had adopted, he had converted to evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Okay. Which, you know, very much believes in, in the power of demons and power of possession. I'm on your side. I don't really believe in it either. Um, yeah. And so then, but then how do I square that with obviously his admission in the early 90s that oh, I made it all up? Okay. And there is a little yeah. bit of, there's some precedent for that. There's serial killer precedent for that. Okay. With Ted Bundy. Okay. Sure. Ted Bundy, uh, his youngest victim was like 12 years old, a 12 year old girl. Okay. And he never talks about it. He refuses. He never talked about it. He refused to even hint at it, but it's known. Okay. All of his yeah. other victims, he admitted to, but that the 12 year old victim intellectually, he wouldn't allow that to tarnish his reputation. Right. That's, that, that's interesting. That's I, a bridge too far for him. He goes, no, mm. I don't want to be thought of as a child killer. I'll kill adults and I'll admit to it and I'll be a fucking creep about it. And sure. Right. But, I, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't allow anyone to ask him questions about that 12. I think she was 12. With, Do you think it was something that was uh, motivated by ego that like messed up his ego? Yeah, I think it was all about how he would be perceived as a mm -hmm. smart, kind of sophisticated killer. Okay. Um, how that relates to Berkowitz, and again, I'm not an expert on this at all, um, but I just find the connection interesting, is that in jail, he had what he considers to be an actual conversion to Christianity, right? Discounting his previous conversion uh, when in his 20s. Um, in jail, he changed his name from Son of Sam to Son of Hope. And yeah. And I think with that new kind of armor that he was wearing, right? That's what he was shielding himself with. And that's how he would explain, uh, you know, why he didn't want parole. There were a lot of people in jail that he could help. He doesn't deserve parole. But at the same time, I don't think he could bring himself to admit demonic possession because he was such a good Christian. I think that that was too, it was a bridge too far for him in his, in his, in his conversion uh, his jailhouse conversion. He didn't want to, he didn't want to admit to it. You know, you bring up a good point because looking at it from an outside perspective of, you know, a writer that is creating something mm -hmm. whether versus the actor that is, you know, doing the task of becoming right. Yeah. I feel you build up a good point where it's like, you know, could it possibly have been a persona, you know, cause I'm looking at it from a perspective where I'm not going to go into it thinking that way. Right. But it's like, you know, could it have been a persona for him at that time? Because it even shows that uh, relevance in the letters when yeah. he's talking about it and he wants people to be scared and he wants to be known as the son of Sam and he wants to be feared, you know, and he wants to be hunted quite. I feel like he wanted to be hunted to the point where he was caught. And even when he was yeah. caught, it was like, all right, you got me. 
Look, there's so, so many layers of this. In, in, yeah, in, it's in, fascinating. It really is fascinating. Psychosis and shit that I just, that I don't understand. Yeah, it's better I can see me. the appeal for public too. Sure. Look, it's better for you me, know? I think, to the story. It's better for the story if he actually believed he was being spoken to by a 6,000-year-old demon was telling him to go gather the blood of the pretty girls. It's better for yeah. the story, okay? Well, the way you tied that in was, uh, you know, it was quite horrifying <laughs> to listen yeah. to because it was it was in a mind where, you know, you're listening to a medium of storytelling and you're like, you're frightened. You know, it brought me back to, I always bring up The Exorcist because that's the movie that scared me as a kid. Yeah. You know, they're speaking Greek in it too, which sure. I understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's the kind of horror that I feel like is, and here's the thing about me too, is that I don't. I don't necessarily like doing horror stuff because they're always so badly told. Right. But it's like, I knew that when you brought this, you know, to me, I, I knew it was going to be done well. Cause I've, I've, you know, looked into your writing and stuff like that over the years, of course. And I was like, you know, I know it's going to be good. And I, I wasn't disappointed because this is right. the kind of horror that's real. And it's, it tells you a story that happened. Yeah. I'm constantly reminding people I'm not a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> It's but, funny because it could come off like that, but it, no. it totally doesn't though. It comes off like a show. Not a journalist. I'm a storyteller. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't want to say, oh, and by the way, he recanted all the demon stuff, right? Because that would be yeah, right. Wah, wah, right. And, and I, I also. <laughs> or he woke up and it was all a dream. Right, you know, like, right, I hate yeah. that kind of stuff. And I also, because I also think that at the time, for whatever reason, um, and maybe he was making it up. Maybe he was making it up as a way to allow himself to continue doing it. You nailed it. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe, but either way, the guy was a fucking mess and, and yeah. you know, and he deserves the punishment that he's getting. And I think he should have been, I mean, I'm almost but... fascinated because uh, I've done work and research into like death penalty and that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, you start to think of, is he really reformed? You know, does prison work? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question yet. Some days I'm like, you know, maybe it's better off. Some days I'm like, no, you know, maybe he should have, you know, paid the price for the lives that he took. But I don't really know. It's tough. It's a tough one. I think both can be true, right? Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't have batted an eye if I read uh, everything about the son of Sam. And then I read and eight years later, he was executed. I'd have been sure. Good. Yeah. He, it would be like, oh, cool. Of course. He deserved right. it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I also... Honestly, looking at his interviews over the last maybe 15 years, yeah, I, I, I actually think that he's reformed. Uh, it's very consistent. It, it doesn't really, dude. It yeah, really it, is. It really I was is. almost shocked because I think the first <laughs> interview I saw of him was his reformed, his reform, and I and I looked at it and I said, "How am I gonna?" I'm not going to even attempt to crawl into this world. This guy looks so normal now. Remorseful, completely yeah. aware of everything that he did. Feels like he should stay in prison. You know, has denied. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. That was, part is I really fascinating. So maybe it did work. I know. It, it's 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 strange. It's strange because he doesn't come off as some moron. He's you know he's an intelligent guy. Yeah, um, he, very he, intelligent. He engages. I think his in, IQ is very high as well. Yeah, he he thinks deeply about things. He obviously thought very deeply about parole and what it would mean to survivors and to him and to society as a whole um and he wrote a very well-reasoned letter to governor pataki you know against his own best interests you know that was wild reading that man but i mean you bring up a good point tying in with ted bundy is that you know um maybe he got to the point where because i read something in those um 
in the letters he wrote to his psychiatrist that they became really good friends. And I dug really deep into that. It was, it was a lot of long, a couple hundred pages, but the ones that I picked out mostly that stick in my mind was what tied in with what you said is that, um, he doesn't like to talk about that part of him because it's, it's so far in his past. He doesn't know who that person is anymore. And can't we all relate to things like that? That's what I think grasped me the most out of this whole thing is, yeah, I can absolutely relate. hundred percent. You know, you don't do the same things that you did as a young kid. And I've done some really adolescent, silly, stupid. No, of course. Fucking things, you know, so many, but it's like so much. Yeah. 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 To the point but where I think like, there's a choice there. There's that Pearl Jam song, elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. And there's a great oh, line in it. One of my favorite bands of all time. I've changed by not changing at all. Okay. Those are the people that stand out. Yeah. People that I haven't seen since high school yeah. that are doing the exact same thing or the exact same person. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? How have you not changed at all? So yes, I can relate to an unrecognizable person from my past who happens to be me, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm not. I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. Brandon, when I when I moved from LA back to New York, I had a some growing pains, okay, and the growing pains were very much along the lines of this, where I felt I I literally went back to the same neighborhood I grew up in, okay, nothing changed, okay, mm. from the people that I have known, from the um you know uh, stores or bodegas that are still there, and it's like the only unchanged place because you know the gentrification came into park slope first then cobble hill where i grew up and then after that it just kind of spread out but it really hadn't surfaced in the bay ridge area and for people that don't know it's right by the verrazano bridge okay that connects Staten island but you know it was fascinating for me because i started to get these growing pains of like i'm not the same person and it was really hard for me to fit in and i never thought that would happen in the city i grew up in yeah. But after I sort of processed that over a couple of years, you start to realize, you know, that some people just are okay with being the same, you know, and not evolving. And I, and for me, I knew for myself right then that it was always something of an evolution for me. I wanted to evolve. So this could be the case for him as well. You know, maybe it's something we're in prison. That's the evolution of him hmm. in some, in some way. This episode is brought to you by better help. A lot of people these days are charging into the new year full of confidence and passion and big ideas and gym memberships and diet plans. And maybe that's you. And it's okay if it's not you. Because a lot of us are still searching, searching for that better version of ourselves. The new year can be a difficult time. As I've said many times over the past few seasons of this show, I've been in therapy on and off for my entire adult life. And one of the main things I've learned is that massive change happens in small steps. Maybe ditch the extreme resolutions and take a small step towards a better you. BetterHelp offers online therapy. After they learn a little bit about you, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist for sessions that fit your schedule. BetterHelp is flexible, convenient, and if you're not happy with the therapist you're paired with, you can switch for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash devilwithin today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash devilwithin. Something else I want to get into. Um, yeah. Uh, in the intro, I mentioned that you are an athlete. And I think yeah. people will find interesting the type of athlete you are. 
uh, which is very specific, uh, <laughs> that you are a bodybuilder, a competitive bodybuilder. Um, I am. And so, uh, A, tell me about that, how you got into that, and how, if at, at all, it relates to uh, your acting uh, kind of method as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, as for acting, I had went to a, uh, a conservatory called William Usher Studio, and they teach Meisner technique. And so that was a vigorous two-year program. Uh, you can kind of get kicked out whenever you, whenever they feel like you're not working in the correct way. But regardless of that, that was a, a foundation. Now, going to the bodybuilding, I would say it changed my life and it set the course for my life. Um, I've always grew up with the golden age of bodybuilders. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was my hero still is. And, um, you know, it was something about the aesthetic that was sort of sexy, you know, and I've always put these pictures on my wall. And I, I remember the first time I talked with uh, one of my friends in Belgium, his name's Kevin, <laughs> but he was like saying, uh, you know, Oh, you might know Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I kind of freaked because this guy was on my wall of a body that I wanted to have, or Arnold Schwarzenegger was on my wall as a body to have. And just that aesthetic was very appealing. And I started lifting weights to at like 17 years old because I played basketball and I wanted to get a better jump shot. And um, I just didn't want to be around the same friends that were doing the same stuff. You know, they were either doing drugs in a house like I didn't want to be a part of because I'd never done anything before. And I, I didn't want to be I saw the course and the trajectory of what my life would be like staying in those houses all the time. So I got into a gym. And this uh, big Lithuanian uh, power lifter came up to me and he goes, no, you should compete. And I said, what is that? <laughs> you know, what is that? And he goes, yes, you compete, you know, you lift, you lift heavy, you should compete. And I said, okay. I started researching. I just dove into my first contest wow. in 2007. And after that, I just really loved it. You know, it bodybuilding taught me discipline. It taught me work ethic and it taught me failure. And that's the one of the biggest things that I feel like a lot of people um, fight with a lot. And it's an, and I still fight with it too, is that the fear of failure. And so what I mean by that is you go and lift a weight and you fail on it. Big deal. What happens? You know, if obviously if you're not going to be lifting crazy amounts of weight, you have a spars, but it's like, what happens if you fail at something? It's not the end of the world. You just, you take note to that, you evolve, you move on and you change. So as I competed in more and more contests, I took a break in 2009. I won the championship uh, for the NPC Federation for Bantamweight Division. And then I had to make a choice. I didn't want to go on steroids and I didn't want to um, continue on a path of that because I've stayed natural my whole life. And so I took like a solid 10 year break. And the reason why I got back into it is because they brought in something called classic physique, which is a heart back to the golden era of bodybuilding. It's not mass monsters. It's not these, you know, like I said, it's an, it's an aesthetic, sexy appeal for a body where if I have clothes on, I look, you know, normal, hopefully semi-normal, right? <laughs> but, but then, you know, you take your shirt off and you flush it. Where did that come from? Um, and you know, one of my biggest goals in life was always to, I want to become Mr. Universe and Mr. Olympia. And just like my hero, you know, I follow in these, in these paths. And so those inspiring, motivating factors, there always has to be a goal for me. So another thing bodybuilding taught me is a goal and how to set a goal and how to go after one. Cause I can't go in there and lift these heavyweights without a goal attached to it. It's mm -hmm. boring. You know, it's not satisfying. There's nothing to achieve for. So yeah, you know, that translates to acting. 
because it's like, okay, I've done that. What else can I do? How can I challenge myself? You know, going into theater, especially last year, you're in front of like 3000 people. And it's like, this is one of my first biggest shows. And I'm very, very nervous. You know, I, I get anxiety and I have to go through my process. But once you get out there, it's like a joy. You're just like, oh, here we go. You know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So, you know, all those qualities were really taught by bodybuilding. And uh, I guess the fun fact is <laughs> that when you called me for this, like, yeah, I got, I, got a, I got an idea for you. And then you pitched me this idea. And I was in Romania competing for Mr. Natural Universe. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, that's so that, was, that was the funny thing. So yeah, I'm going to be competing again in that, in the natural universe in October. So I've been, uh, now I've been kind of training for that over again, but it's a joy, you know, I love it. And when I think this is for everything, whether it's acting, whether it's bodybuilding or whether it's, I don't know, writing where you, when you don't like it anymore and it doesn't become fun and you're not smiling, then it's time to move on, mm. you know? And, and that's something that really, I learned from, from all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it taught me discipline. No, especially as you know, with scripts and stuff, you know, you have to do a lot, a lot of research. You have to be intelligent. You have to retain information and, uh, and all that was ingrained with, with, you know, lifting weights. Hmm. Taught you discipline. So was that something oh, that was lacking in your life? I would say so. You know, hmm. after my parents had split, I was about, I was about 12 hmm. and I went through this period of, you know, you're, you're in Brooklyn and you know, the world's your oyster now. And I didn't really have much parenting hovering over me. I mean, there of course was relatives like, are you okay? Are you safe? Um, and my brother's a firefighter. So there was also that he was all, always had an eye on me. Um, but you know, I had to sort of learn through that. And I think the morals of, of being in the gym and no, I don't want to miss this workout or no, I, I want to keep progressing. Hey, if I go out and have a night of drinking and I, I get myself wasted, okay, how's it going to affect my training the next day? Mm. So I always thought about the consequence. So yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't necessarily a lacking of discipline. It was a lacking of direction. Mm. And then by default, discipline came into play because you have to be disciplined to do this kind of stuff. Right. You know, and I, I always tell people when a lot of people don't quite understand, but it's, I can't, it's either I'm a hundred or nothing, you know, with anything I do, if I'm called on for a project or if I'm interested in something, if I want to attain something, if I want to go for a championship, you know, I can't be 50% in and 50% out. It has to be a hundred or nothing yeah. because you're not devoting all your time. And then what's really the point of, of doing that? So, yeah, I mean, the foundations were definitely drawn from that, from the time of being in the gym, because you, you have failure on a daily basis and in order to see progress, you need the discipline. And so that translated to acting, of course, because it, it is vigorous. And if you want to be, you know, really, really great at something, not just to do it, just to say you do it, but to be really great at something and successful at something, I feel like you have to have that discipline um, because without it, you're, you're all over the place. You know, there's nothing that's, that's giving you direction to go forward. You're, you're going askew all the time. What made you say no to, to steroids with your, your, your heroes being people who built their yeah. bodies on it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I think, I'll, well, there's two parts to that. One part was I was terrified. Okay. Of what? Uh, of any side effect, Like your ball you know, shrinking, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, even stuff like that, like your ball shrinking or right. like, you know, your liver being uh, double the size and it's irreversible. I've trained with guys that were on yeah. steroids my whole life. Okay. Yeah. 
And I think firsthand I saw, you know, these 17, 18 year old kids, massive guys. And I kid you not, I, I was training with a really good buddy of mine. And uh, about a year later, you know, we were still training together and he comes into the gym and he's like laughing, but he goes, hey, check this out. I have this really, really cool thing. And he shows me, not even kidding, a blood pack attached to his chest that's draining blood because he had a hematoma explosion from the side effect of steroids. Wow. And I said to myself, isn't bodybuilding about, you know, supposed to be about being in the best health and shape of your life? Yeah. It, where, where did that go astray here? It's because it sells. Right. And that's the thing. These things sell. And so I said, I didn't want to be part of that market machine. I wanted to do it for myself. And myself is it's being in the best fitness shape and the best health of your life. Right. I think that's why the drugs had scared me, you know, my whole life yeah. is that I was just afraid to, to tamper with that. Plus my dad would have given me a beating. That's, that's, right there. <laughs> that's for yeah. sure. But yeah, I think it was, you know, one thing was terror. And the other part was I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty straight edge when it comes to my life and my decisions and, and talking to people. And I've always wanted to be consistent with that. I didn't want to be something that was for show or for fake. And of course, you know, listen, we all do it. If I'm on the stage, it's showmanship. When I'm performing in theater, it's showmanship. But when it comes to being a human being, I wanted to be consistent with my morals. And that really was the thing that made me stick to saying, I don't want to do this is, is the morals and the fear. Good for you. Whatever gets you there, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Fear, yeah, fear, yeah. Fear's a strong motivating factor sometimes, you know? It is. Yeah. You know, especially if something scares the shit out of you. You're like, I don't want to, I'd rather not go near it. I could argue that it's a more powerful deterrent than, than a moral compass sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Maybe. maybe. Um, all right. Rapid fire. Ready? Best pizza. Oh my God. Don't think De about it. Just fucking De answer. DeFaris pizza. Where? It was on East 18th and Avenue J. It's closed down now, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Well, yep. all right. If you had to get it, if you're all right, in New York, any borough today, pizza, where would you go? I'm going to call, I'm going to be biased. It's Brooklyn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. All right. Uh, Marvel or DC? Oh, totally Marvel. Okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. De Niro or Pacino? Oh, Pacino. Whoa! Yeah, I know it's cr they're both my they're both the people why I wanted to get into acting. Both of those Whoa. guys do. Breaking but news. It's just, yeah, The Godfather is my number one favorite film. Of all right, that's next. Godfather or Goodfellas? Yeah, Godfather. Godfather. Wow, and I love Goodfellas. Same. Okay, I think I learned more about you in those questions than anything else. All right. <laughs> I also love Rocky and Jaws. I put those up there too. Shawshank Redemption, another one. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. Those are all cl – I mean, every movie that you just mentioned, I won't ever turn off. No matter what I'm doing. For me, it's on. I'm there watching it. I'll just stop what I'm doing and watch to the end. <laughs> of any anything. Yeah, of anything. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So listen, Johnny, this has been awesome. I want you to tell uh, tell listeners, fantastic, man. I love this. Tell listeners where they can find you. Yes, you can find me on my website. It's Johnny Kios, J-O-H-N-N-Y-K-I-O-S.com. Or just, you know, you can find me on Instagram. It's John underscore Kioskarigis, K-I-O-S-K-E-R-I-D-E-S. It's a Greek mouthful. <laughs> but um, but those, that's where you can find me. And I, I always respond to people because I like to be engaged. 
Great. And um, anything coming up? You said you're going to be competing again soon in October? Yeah. So I have, uh, I'm right now tied to two theater shows in the DC area. So you can look out for that. It's in, it's probably going to be from April uh, onwards to about June. And then I have Mr. Universe in October, Mr. Natural Universe, and then I have Mr. Natural Olympia in Vegas in November. So if you're around, you can come see some, some cool, cool stuff. I'm going to be in Vegas in March to see Springsteen. But, uh, oh, oh, my God. That guy just kills my heart, man. Yeah, right. I freaking, uh, I'm always listening to him. Well, I can say from experience that um, if you haven't been to a bodybuilding competition, uh, one, you should go. So much fun. A, for the holy shit factor of it, Right. Because you really don't know what you're into. You've seen pictures. You have seen no idea until you, you actually see it happen. You don't know how much of a, how performative of an art it is. Yeah. That scared me um, and shocked me. And <laughs> I went, this is really hard. It's, Did you feel inspired afterwards? I felt. Or like defeated? No, not defeated. It's weird what I felt. Okay, good, good. I, I, was actually, I was just really, really surprised. I was like, yeah. I had no idea how dedicated you had to be as a performer to get through this. The the level of confidence required is through the fucking roof. Okay. And the, the care and the craftsmanship that the athletes take with their own bodies as their canvas mm. is, is I'm telling you, it's breathtaking. Like, I can't believe people are able to do this to themselves. Well, the funny know? thing I will say is that, you know, I'm, I'm very like shy as a person. Okay. And you talk to my acting coach, it's like, you know, fucking shy, Johnny, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, there's this inner part of me where I do fear going out on, st- you know, on stage and stuff, but it's the work that you've already done where you're just like, you know, this is it, you know, enjoy this moment. You know, it's, it's like being on a set, you've done the work already. There's not really much you're going to alter with uh, without obviously direction from your director, but it's like, you, you know, this is the point. This is the time to have fun. Yeah, but here's the difference. That's how I look at it. Here's the difference. Ready? Yeah. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time you walk out onto a set, you're not ninety nine point nine percent fucking naked, naked. right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or in a little tiny speedo, a little speedo, the, right? The, and you're oiled yeah. up, and you're like completely saying, "Here I am, naked. Judge me." Yeah, <laughs> that's Plus what backstage it yeah. feels like. The conversation is as normal as this. You're having like a cup of coffee, talking over over topics, and everyone's like either naked or half naked. I'm getting it's, oiled up by another. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I was being oiled up for one of the shows, and I had the team grease coach there, and he was like just having a conversation with me. He goes, yeah, how are you feeling today? I'm like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm like, can you bend down real quick? Oh, okay, no problem. Yeah. yeah. So what did you do last night? <laughs> yeah. I, no, I'm telling it's you. Awesome. It's just, I love it, it. It's a world that um, that not a lot of people know exists, or if they know it exists, they don't really know the, the particulars. And, and it's worth it's worth investigating. Because uh, like it's yeah, fascinating. I, fascinating. I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, yeah. And I want to make sure that people can understand that you, know, you can do it if you want to. It's on something unattainable. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah, come visit, come visit a show. And I'll add on to that. You know, Brandon, this has been a joy to work with you. Uh, it, the project that you've created has been really fantastic. It's, you know, it's it's another thing to be part of a good, you know, role, but it's another thing to be part of good writing. And that's that's the main thing that I always look for. And once you have that, it's just golden, man. So thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.